Before we get to today's show, I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Veracross. With a single record database and the strongest API in the industry, Veracross is the leading SIS provider for private and independent schools, and it's now available in Australia. Support us by supporting them, so visit veracross.com backslash edleaders to learn more. Now let's get to today's show. Welcome to Ed Leaders, the podcast covering all the interesting ideas about leadership, strategy, culture, and the business of K-12 education. I'm your host, Luke Callier, and joining me each week in the chair is my co-host and colleague, Matthew Irving. Before we get started, if you haven't already, you should sign up to the weekly email sent out every two weeks by the team at Ed Leaders. Matt, what should someone expect if they sign up? I thought you might ask this question, Luke, since you ask it um, most episodes. Um, You know what I really like about the newsletter is that it's like an Ed Leaders light. You know, if for that busy leader, if you need to skip through, you can see the headlines and get a really good understanding of what's happening in the world. But for those people who need Ed Leaders Plus, you can dive into the links and get some deeper insights. Uh, So that's why I love the newsletter. So there's the plug. I like it, Matt. Well done. On top of your game today, well played. You can sign up to the Ed Leaders newsletter at edleaders.com.au. Now on to today's guest, which is Sharaf Kusos. Did I get that right? How did I go? That's right. Yep, that's correct. Excellent. (laughs) Sharaf is the CEO and founder of Skills Leap Australia and formerly e-learning advisor at Swinburne University, one of the largest online university providers in Australia, So we're guessing that he knows a thing or two about online education. So without further ado, let's get to it. Sharaf, welcome to the show. Thanks, thanks, Luke, and thanks, Matt. I know it's early uh, for you in Perth now. It's like almost um, just before 6 a.m. So I appreciate um, the invite and um, having you on the show today. We, uh, we love the early start, well, at least one of us does, but uh, <laughs> we'd love to start the show with a bit of a story about your background, um, you know, your personal journey in education and how you came to be where you are today. Yeah, uh, in fact, I, um, I moved to Australia, so I, I'm going to give you a little bit of background first, um, how the journey started um, and, and a little bit of my background. So I, um, I moved from Jordan in 2007, so I I did my master's degree in uh, business information technology. Um, so I always been in the IT field um, through my, my previous um, studies as well and my degree. Um, so what happens is after I graduated, I got my first full-time job in the IT. So I was doing technical support and um, uh, always uh, trying to help people to solve um, technical issues they've been going through. Um, so I guess through this journey, each time I fix someone um, issue like, um, in, in the computer or in the system. So I would usually explain to them why this happened. Um, each time I fix something, I would explain and, and go through the process, why this happened and how we fix it. So I felt like, um, each time I do something, I would educate people, uh, in the digital literacy. Uh, and that in fact, trigger me to, um, uh, to, to find out that, you know, I, I think I have some passion for training and education because I like to educate people and um, keep communicating with them um, in, in, you know, in, 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 this, um, in this industry, especially in, in the IT, which is my background. Um, then after, after I uh, moved, so I moved to a different job and the next job I got, which is, wasn't really related to my background in IT, so it was an education. So when I was looking for a job, I was like, oh, you know, I should find something maybe more related to education. So I feel like I can give as well. 
So I guess that's how it started, you know, with my IT background. And then I got a job in the education field. Then I started, you know, identifying some gaps, especially in, in the digital field of the education, where I found, you know, people still relying on the paper-based pay, um, classroom education. So I always thought of something can be done, in fact. Um, something can be improved and how we can um, include technology and innovation in the education. And that was like 12 years ago. And 13 years ago, so before people, before online was popular, like now. And is it fair to say that, you know, despite the, the technical background you had, you really started to find your purpose when it came to learning and helping others? Yes, yes, that's right. You know, sometimes they say the best way to learn is to um, teach, um, I guess. You know, that triggered that, okay, you know, I enjoy this, that, that, you know, it gave me such, sort of like satisfaction. So I enjoyed when I explained things to people, you know, create a learning plan for them. Um, and, and you know, I, I guess I'm a people person, so I also enjoyed communicating with people. And that that's why, you know, um, with my IT background, technical background with communications and training, I felt, yes, that's a good fit and that I can see purpose, you know, um, going towards this path. Yeah. And if you combine kind of that lens of, uh, you know, that calling and education in your background, that doesn't always necessarily lead to starting your own company. Um, so I'm interested in whether, you know, like some of those early experiences or what there is in your background that kind of made you go, actually, I, you know, I enjoy this passion of teaching people, but I also actually want to do this, you know, for myself. Yeah, I guess... Um I learned this from my father. So my father is a lawyer in, in Jordan and he always managed his own clients, his own, you know, office and, and, you know, uh, the whole journey he's going through. So I watched my father, um, in, in his business when I was a kid and I, I always, um, so he used to take me with him to the court and watch what's happening. So I, I guess I, you know, um, I learned this from my father being, independent and, um, take responsibility as well. And always, um, think how we can add value from this perspective, because once, when you run your own business, you, you have more freedom in terms of decisions, um, that, you know, like when you are employee, I guess, yes, you, you take decisions, but running your own business, you have more freedom to take decisions and, um, you know, take more actions. Um, I always felt I want to do my own uh, business. And, and in fact, I tried before, you know, uh, years ago, you know, I, I had my full-time job. Um, I took like a day or two off to try um, doing um, aside consulting. So things grew and evolve as, as I started thinking of this process, but I needed definitely experience in the field. Um, and once I felt more confident to be independent and to run uh, my own business, I decided to, that's it, 100%, um, I would dedicate my time uh, to the business. Yeah. And as you've moved into that sort of CE role, you've had lots of, you know, autonomy to, to make decisions, et cetera. Um, what do you think your, your greatest learnings have been from, from that notion of being an employee to now, now the boss? Yeah, I guess um, sometimes we can imagine things, uh, you know, <laughs> we, we think it's, it's an easy journey. We can imagine, oh, I want to be the CEO and a founder of the company. I will be independent. I will have my own time. But in fact, that was the opposite. 
Um, <laughs> it's a rocky journey. It's not an easy journey. And it's not like what people imagine. And to, in fact, not, not all people can survive this journey because uh, there's a lot of um, challenges, you know, as, as you go through the days. You have to take, really, you have to be responsible. You have to make sure you have the right team around you. You have to take an independent decisions that you can't escalate. So if you are the only one who should take the decision. So, okay, who, and I have a manager to escalate and help me uh, in the journey, especially as a founder where you still don't have a board. Um, you still don't have a, you know, large team and managers to, to help with taking decisions. So it, it relies a lot on you. Uh, there's a daily learning. Uh, every day we learn something new. And um, I guess it's, it's very important to get feedback from people uh, in terms of some decisions you've taken, um, some behaviors as well. And, you know, we consider this feedback and, and improve as we go. So it's, it's evolving journey. That's how I see it. And if you took that a step further, you know, you've, you've kind of been in this role for four or five years. Like, where do you think that um, the, the leadership role will evolve as, as a CEO over the next five years as your company kind of continues to grow? I think the plan in, in the next five years is to take myself away from the detailed and operational work and create more leaders, delegate the work and, um, you know, delegate the work to, to the right people and get them to make uh, decisions and, and run the system. So there, there should be some sort of system that doesn't need me all the time, um, that has the right people in the system um, and have the, the right leaders as well. Yeah. And, um, you know, look, we're talking a little bit about your background. We're talking about your sort of business, um, and we don't necessarily know a lot about Skills Leap Australia. So, for our audience, wondering if you can, you know, maybe give us the elevator pitch of what Skills Leap Australia is all about. Um, you know, what's your vision? What's the mission uh, for the business? Yeah, thanks, Matt. Uh, Skills Leap Australia is education technology and e-learning solutions company. So we um, we 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 develop educational products. We provide learning management systems. Um, we also design the learning management systems to streamline the user experience and the user interface. Um, and also we help to, um, especially administrators and, and institutions to um, build a robust reporting uh, systems using this learning management system to, to monitor and help students. Um, we also develop uh, contents, learning contents from scratch and um, make these contents engaging and, and interactive. Uh, so people can study online um, on, as a self-paced um, learning. Um, and we, we try to make this journey as um, engaging as possible. So there is less teacher engagement um, in, in this journey. Mm. So basically that's what, um, what we do. And give us a sense of, of the size of the business at the moment and the types of clients that you've been engaging. Yeah, so I do have like almost 12 um, full-time employees and uh, we do have contractors as well. So the number of contractors, depending on, on the projects we have, could be 10, could be 15, could be 20. It depend, depends on the size of the pro, um, project. Um, our clients um, literally can be any, any, any organization that they teach or they have learning and development um, uh, department. For example, you know, we have government clients, we have TAFEs uh, clients, so we have associations as well. Um, a corporate um, learning and development. Um, 
So basically institutions and corporate that they deliver training and they develop training as well. You talk there about some of the things that you do and, you know, one that I want to kind of drill in on is around kind of that user experience or the design of learning management systems and um, that notion of, you know, many of many uh, LMSs have that customizability, I guess, but once a, a school is kind of implementing or has implemented a product, I would I would say that not many schools go back and change that user interface or or potentially don't spend enough time in the early kind of, I guess, setup of, of that LMS, thinking deeply about the user experience and how many clicks it's going to take to find what information and what you as an educator want to call, you know, an area versus what someone as a parent or a customer thinks about that when they're trying to find that piece of information. I'm wondering if you can kind of describe and talk about, you know, some of um, some of the issues you've seen when it comes to kind of design of, of learning management systems and some of the processes that you take to kind of, um, you know, uh, I guess do a better job of that design. Um, yes, a good question, um, Luke. And I think this is one of the most important um considerations when we design uh, learning courses and learning, learning management systems. And I've seen a lot of examples, especially during COVID, when people rushed to move online. Uh, I guess, you know, I've seen a lot of examples where the learning management system is just a, um, a knowledge base or something they upload um, PDFs and, and, you know, PowerPoint slides and, uh, you know, clunky it, it's only just to host uh, documents for people to download and um, and study. In fact, this is again, this is um, it doesn't help from from student perspective because you know, especially when we moved to COVID, we it was important to make sure people feel that they are in the classroom. They feel uh, the content is engaging. You know, um, there's a lot of issues people. They get bored quickly from the learning, so they want something to keep them engaged. Uh, they want to see a, a better look and feel once they land and uh, to the learning management system. So there was a lot of example where it was clunky. You you get lost. Where should you go? How can I start the course? How can I do the assessment? Where should I download this? So there was a lot of um, examples like that. So it is important to think to think of your audience, to think of the their background, because that will help how to design the user journey um, from the time where they land on, on, on the homepage on the learning management system. How are you going to explain about the course you are delivering on the first page? Uh, you know, do you have the, um, the modules uh, presenting on, on the homepage so people can expect what they're going to study, how you design the buttons, um, how you design the, the menu. Um, it, does it look modern or clunky or, you know, does it, is it working properly or not? So it, it's a mix of creating a modern uh, user interface um, at the same time accessible with the colors as well and the user journey how easy for users to find what, what they're looking for. And once they find them, the course, the design of the courses as well. How engaging? Do you have images? Uh, do you have too much um, text on 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 the um, on the page? How you design the text and the spaces, the font you used. So there's a lot of details that help people to stay engaged and the eye feels comfortable 
um, when, when they go through, um, you know, the, the study journey. So yes, a mix of UX and, and UI as well. Mm. Um, Sharaf, I'm really interested. We've been talking a little bit there about sort of design and, um, you know, and you know, sort of Luke and I have done the sort of design work to implementation. And I think often people completely underestimate the time that it takes um, to go through a process. I'm wondering if you could sort of talk to, you know, if you were to pick up a new client today, let's say it's a school, what would be the ideal scenario for you when it comes to sitting down with a client, understanding their needs, developing the design through the implementation? We do have uh, a robust processes and, and, and project management systems um, that we built through the journey and what we learned meeting with different clients and based on um, our co- consultation and, and all the projects they've gone through, we, we built this system also as the lessons learned, what we missed this time with the client and what we learned this time from the client. So, in fact, the most important thing when we sit with the client is understanding um, who are their students, are they, and what kind of backgrounds they have. What um, what is the, the the vision of the school or the type or of the institution they um, they having? So we 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 collect a good understanding about about the journey, about the, the company, about the students. Um, we try to understand uh, the culture of the organization at the same time. Then we, I guess, we, we start the process of showing the client how we develop the courses and where we need input from the client or from the teachers or from the school. Um, I guess the first step will be our instructional designers or content writers. They will liaise with the subject matter experts and in the school's they're usually the teachers or some of the content writers, and we work with them to create something we call a storyboard, so which will uh, have all the content that will be delivered eventually and how the flow will go. So the flow of, of, of the teaching with some instructions, and we try to put all the information needed in there with the appropriate images and, and the appropriate um, user journey. Uh, so we put ourselves in the students' feet as well to, to see how, how they're going to learn in the classroom. So after this step, we hand over this content into our e-learning developers. So we convert everything in text into online modules. So we try to make it engaging and, and animated if required. Um, we choose the appropriate images. Um, eventually, um, then it goes to the learning management system to be uploaded or if we need to design the learning management system in the process. So it, it is it is a journey. Um, it, it, takes, it takes a lot of time. And I guess it is important to have a quality assurance, um, you know, stages each time you finish some piece of work. So it, that has to be reviewed. You have to make sure it's being checked properly and it does meet the client requirements. It has to be checked against accessibility as well uh, to make sure people using the keyboard, they can go through the content. People with hearing impaired, with visually impaired people, they feel comfortable to go and read uh, the content as well. So we make sure we have the appropriate uh, color contrast. Um, We have to make sure that um, everything has text alternative as well. So if someone is running, um, you know, text reader on the screen so they can listen, um, what's what's on the screen? So there's a lot of consideration through the process uh, to make sure it's being uh, checked, 
and also um, we update the client with each uh, stage we go through. So we like to be agile from this perspective. How many um, clients do you work with have you know a decent understanding of some of those things that you've just described, like the text, you know, text reading on the screen, or you know, like that it's going to be that people can can listen to it. Do, do people come? to you with that understanding or is that something that you've got to educate most organizations on because they've actually just never thought about it? Uh, in fact, um, we still need to educate people on this, you know, with the web content accessibility guidelines and, and also it depends on the background of their students. Uh, I've seen clients who are aware of this, but they don't know the details. I've seen other clients, they are not aware of it at all. So part of the process, we have to make sure we communicate the web content accessibility guidelines with the clients. And we have to make sure, because sometimes some clients would have, you know, their brand guidelines or they would say, okay, we need these colors to be included in, 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 in the course we need to develop it. But we would say, but this is not accessible. So, hmm. you know, they would be a little bit confused what that means. So we have to explain to them that, you know, um, no, these colors don't work. You know, if someone is, um, you know, with some visual, you know, visual issues and they can't see the colors properly. And um, so we would need to explain the, the mix of the colors and, and the degree of the colors they need to present. Um, so I, I guess part of the journey with the client, when we start, we have to explain to them this. So they are aware of why we did not necessarily go with their colors and why we're proposing a new colors or there's an extra step of text, alternative text as well. Yeah. It's interesting, you know, I can just sort of hear that, you know, there's often there's a little level of tension around brand, you know, that that things have to look a particular way. But then when you actually ask the question about, well, what is this going to be for the the user? Um, yeah, there's there's a bit of tension there. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And and that's where sometimes you need to convince the client this is this is the right way to do it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we've talking there about sort of the design process. Um, you know, I'd love to sort of pivot into then the learning process um, and experience. And, you know, I've seen often this notion of, you know, great online learning sort of is, is sort of anchored to, I guess, adult learning principles. You know, what do you think are the ingredients to a successful online learning experience for, for students or, or learners? Uh, the first thing I think is being um, student-centric. Like when, when you create a, a learning, you have to think as, as a student as well. And to see once, once the students start the journey, how they're going to learn and what they want to learn as well. So it is important to, to design the course and develop the contents uh, and thinking of the student. Um, I, I guess also it's important um, um, to think of the um, user experience, which, what, which we talked about it before. So student-centric, user experience is important, making the content um, engaging and uh, autonomous. So um, for adult training, you rely on the learner to, to, to do the work and with the minimum engagement from the teacher. Um, so I think building a content that requires you know, less engagement from the teacher, relying on adult learning, um, building a content are engaging by including uh, videos, um, including discussion forums, so where you get the students to communicate and discuss certain topics uh, with themselves as well. And as a teacher, you only a facilitator and mentor of this journey. 
So including a, a, um, a discussion is, is important as well um, in the journey. Having some quizzes each time they finish a topic, a uh, few questions to keep them engaged and, and to think of what, what they studied, um, uh, it is important. So, you know, there's a, a principle for the andragogy uh, as adult learning to, to be considered when, when we develop the learning journey. Yeah, I think that identity piece is really interesting um, for, for teachers, particularly in the online context. And I think some teachers found it really hard to, to pivot to online learning in COVID and they kept their identity as teacher, as instructor and expert rather than teacher as mentor and facilitator. Was that, was that a bit of your experience? Yeah, I think um, moving from classroom to, to online, um, a lot of teachers, they didn't have the online experience. So I guess they treated uh, the, the online journey as, as a classroom, uh, which not necessarily work all the time. Um, so it's not a matter of micro teaching or micromanaging the students. They have to have, they should include some, um, you know, them, it has to be a little bit autonomous. Um, and I know in schools, teachers, they want to be involved all the time, but I guess there should be parts where they can let the students do the work themselves, um, empower them to do the work. And that can be developed through the way the courses can be designed as well. So that's how you, I guess there should be sort of balance between too much engagement of the teacher and only to facilitate. So in a discussion forum, students, they are talking about a certain topic. So the teacher could, from time to time, jump in, look at the uh, discussion happening, and if it becomes quiet, they can put another question to keep it going and, and engaging. So I guess it's more about uh, keep, keeping um, the learning journey going as well. You kind of mentioned in that description there around, uh, I guess, the engagement, but you know, having videos and, and you know, you've talked there about discussion boards. You know, I, I guess I'm wondering what tools or digital tools have you seen become uh, or grow over the last two, three years or are new over the last two, three years that have really helped with that kind of engagement? And what are the non-negotiables now for, you know, a teacher if they're thinking about creating, you know, content in an online space? Yeah, I, I, the last few years, the authoring tools used to develop online courses um, evolved and, and um, getting better and better in terms of designing uh, the courses. Um, now we have a very modern look and feel when you develop um, online modules um, using the authoring tools um, currently in the market. Um, this um, video animations can be developed as well to, to, to keep people engaged and make the journey fun as well. Um, so uh, the, the, the softwares being used are important and it is important to consider, you know, people going, learning through their mobiles or tablets or desktops. So it is important to make sure the product and the online learning we are developing works on a different dev devices as well. Um, from, from teacher perspective, um, I guess, as I mentioned, the, the, um, these authoring tools would help the learning developers uh, to, to design the content where the teacher can, uh, for example, only facilitate and creating a, a discussion forums that helps the teacher to keep the, uh, the students engaged. Um, so again, it, it links back to, to the user experience 
and to the design um, method being used and the software being used um, in, in this um, in this side. And so you've seen the development of new sort of you know authoring tools uh, in the market. If where have you seen like the best LMS, you know, the best online course, you know, that you get, you hold up and you go like, that's the exemplar. Um, that's, that's the best, you know, you could, you know, plug one of your own. That's cool. Um, but it'd be really interesting, you know, what's the, what's the best thing you've seen out there? Ours. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, I think from, from the eye of experts, sometimes it's different from the eye of someone doesn't have clear understanding of accessibility and mix of colors and, and user, user journey. But I guess when I look at a learning management system and, and online learning, I again put myself um, like as a student. And the first thing I look at is, do I understand when I go to the homepage, do I understand what I am going to study? Uh, do I feel comfortable with the design of the course? Can I find what I'm looking for? So I, I, I guess this is one of the important things I see when I uh, look at learning management system. And definitely I've seen beautiful examples in the market and I can see how innovative those people developed um, the, um, uh, the student journey and, and the way uh, the learning management uh, being designed. So there is no struggle for um with the students to, to, to find what they're looking for. Um, uh, and I guess it, it's fun. I, I've seen a lot of fun and engaging content where you just want to keep going and you just want to click next, click, okay, do this. Uh, this is a fun activity. I want to try this one. So that's, that's where I see, uh, I enjoy when, when I look at other people, uh, learning management systems. If you love what we do here at Ed Leaders, then please support us by supporting our sponsors. And today's episode sponsor is Veracross. Is your school ready for the modern age? Well, we've got good news for you. Veracross, the leading CIS provider for private and independent schools, is now available in Australia. Trusted by hundreds of schools in more than 30 countries around the world, Veracross is the only 100% cloud-based, single-record database built exclusively for private and independent schools. It's one system for your entire school. Integrations with popular edtech solutions like Schoolbox, Pixevity, and Digistorm enable seamless workflows and easy-to-access information. Plus, their in-country data center improves network speed and privacy so you can rest easy knowing your school's data is secure and protected with Veracross. Make 2023 the year your school moves to the cloud. To learn more about Veracross, visit veracross.com backslash edleaders. That's V-E-R-A-C-R-O-S-S dot com backslash edleaders. And it would mean the world to us if you or your school's director of IT check them out. Now back to today's show. I guess for those out there who you know may be uh, used to being in a in a face to face context, or you know putting a you know ed leader's hat on and say we want to create uh, you know a course for teachers, where can an educator go to learn more about these kinds of things that you're talking about? Because I don't feel like there's too many courses out there that is going to tell me that I should use eighteen font Arial instead of 16 font, you know, 
Courier, yeah. as an example, or I should yeah. use this shade of dark gray instead of that shade of black. Um, you know, where, where can people learn more about the, these types of things if they're interested in developing better online content? From Skillsleep Australia perspective, we we try all the time to educate people in this by uh, posting articles from, from time to time on our website, on our blog to um, educate people slowly in terms of what... Um, What's happening in the e-learning industry, and what are the some of our um, articles could be technical, other articles could be more strategic. So we try to do this uh, ourselves as well, and I encourage other e-learning companies to to, to do the same um, to educate people. So um, it, I think it's important uh, to do it internally, and also people. I would advise people to search, just search and ask. Um, there are content online they can find, um, you know, searching for if someone is developing the course themselves, um, just search, um, uh, Google it. What, what is the most appropriate um, font size to develop this course? What is the most appropriate color? So they can ask questions and they can give the answers. Um, I would recommend people not to rely on their on judgment when they build um, <laughs> learning courses. So I, I would I would advise to, to search and, and try as well. <laughs> yeah, we all love our own stuff. Isn't that funny? Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, you know, we sort of did sort of talking uh, a little bit about, you know, um, sort of the notion of skills. And Shuaf, I'm really interested in your take. You know, right at the top of the show, we talked about digital literacies. You know, and as we're educating people, well, let's just sort of think about students and even adult learners. Where do you think the gaps are in terms of digital literacies? So it's all great to sort of develop great LMSs and learning experiences, but are there gaps in skills to, to really make those experiences successful? Absolutely. Absolutely. And and that, again, depends on the audience um, uh, of, of the course you, you, you're developing for. I guess to consider digital literacy, for people with low digital literacy, it's important to provide as much guidance as you can in when you design the courses. Uh, for example, when you develop a particular online course and you want people to click on a, on a certain button or you want them to click next or to expand um, accordion. Um, some of the examples we use is a moving hand that would guide people, okay, click here. So it will move, then disappears. Uh, so people would know, okay, there's something I have to do here. So they will try to click. Um, provide um, help uh, a button on, on the pages as well. Um, so people, if, if they're struggling to do certain activities on, on the learning, they just can click help and it does explain about this particular activity. Also, it is important to provide a tour. So for people, for example, accessing the courses for the first time, so you can provide the layer of a tour on the top of the software they are accessing to guide them, you know, click here to, to access the menu, click here to go to the courses. So making the user experience as easy as possible when you design the courses and providing the guidance um, even the look and feel and the design of the page when you develop the course, you have to make sure uh, it's clear this is a button. How are you going to add shadow on the button so people would know some, some actions need to be uh, taken there? 
um, clear and large text size as well. So there's a lot of consideration uh, for people with low digital literacy. And again, some people, they still need some support from the teacher. So we would provide a message also to the teachers if people really struggling with this, maybe it's time to perhaps guide them a little bit. But from design perspective, it is important to consider people with low digital literacy uh, to have the appropriate design and not making the pages too busy for them. Yeah, I'm interested in kind of looking at the other side as well, uh, Sharaf, about, you know, from, a, from an educator's view who the students have now, um, you know, interacted with the course, you know, like they've been on the discussion boards, you've got that one or two kids that have dropped one comment, you've got 15 kids who have dropped 10 comments and three kids that have dropped 48 comments, um, you know, and you can see that some kids have watched a video, you can see that some kids have spent three hours on the page and some have spent 18. I'm wondering if you could describe, you know, whether there's any best practice or what some of the tools are out there that helps a teacher understand, you know, the student's understanding. Obviously, there's, you know, little pop quizzes and things like that, but, you know, the understanding and the engagement in, um, in a discussion board and how important that is towards, you know, potential assessment and things like that. Uh, good question, Luke. Um, and I think it's important part of, uh, you know, in, in the online journey. And it's like a student is not participating in the classroom, What, how you need to make sure the student is engaged. I guess from online perspective, um, having a robust analytics in the background for the teacher mm. to see uh, the activities of the students. And uh, again, it depends how sophisticated the system they have. For example, you know, there's analytics that can tell how long the students spent on this particular time, spent on this particular page, and how active they are. There's, there's a star rating system against each student. And also they can see the how active in the discussion from the analytics as well. Um, so there, there are tools can be developed to help teachers monitor the students. So this is from technical perspective. Now from teacher and engagement perspective, there's something I call it the art of weaving, W-E-A-V-I-N-G, weave. Weave means the, the, the teacher, teacher should monitor the discussion forum and to make sure that it keeps going. So for example, if someone is not engaged, in, in the discussion or just they said only one sentence. So they could throw a question to the group and tag this particular person by saying, what do you think about this? So I, I think tagging those people are not engaged is important to make sure they get notified and they can see their name. So that means, you know, this call for action, I have to do something, I have to post something. So uh, the art of weaving is important to keep the discussion going and, and mentioning other student names in online forums. Um, that will keep, keep the journey and, and the discussion um, going. If the student doesn't respond at all, I guess, you know, a private message on, on, through the learning management system to check, hey, how are you going? Uh, is there anything I can help with? I tagged you, would you like to participate? So that's another level if they are still not engaged in the discussion to do. It's a really interesting contrast, I think, between, uh, you know, that notion of how engaged is a student in their learning versus how much knowledge do they have of the topic that I'm teaching? Because a student can be in that class and 
probably already know everything that you're teaching them and therefore then be not that engaged but still might get 20 out of 20 on the test. And I think that's a really interesting kind of, I don't know, a concept for teachers to think about because often assessment, you know, in education, particularly in in, uh, in, yeah. uh, in schools, a bit different in university because sometimes they attribute 10% to a, a participation mark. We tend to think about it more like we'll separate it out to an effort or, or an attribute. Um, but it's a really interesting notion around that online, you know, concept of yeah. engagement versus understanding. Yep, absolutely. I think I think still helping students communicate is important, especially after they finish school and go to university and go to the workforce. And as you know, communication is important. And and if the teacher would feel someone is very smart but not communicating properly, I think they should keep supporting them and not just relying on okay, they're smart, they they can figure it out. It's not like that. And we know all of us that being in the industry for a long time and and Communication is the key. I want to sort of zoom out. We've just sort of, I guess we're touching on that notion of what does success look like. And and I'm really interested, you know, you've gone through the design phase with a client. You've gone into implementation. We're seeing sort of students and learners engaged. How do you then sit with a client and then, I guess, evaluate the the overall impact uh, of the innovation of, of that learning management system? Yeah, good question, Matt, as well. And this is... Uh, part of the processes we have after we hand over the product. So I guess there's two aspects from um, a success uh, perspective. First of all, there's the technical success. Is everything working as it's supposed to work? (laughs) Like no dramas, no technical fault is um, things going well. Everyone is happy. So that's the first feedback. And I guess the second... It's technology. It's always like that, isn't it? Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, then we look at the, um, the, the, we usually have, uh, recommend to the clients to include a survey, uh, for the student after they finish each, um, each course to, to provide their feedback and their opinions about the course, um, how engaging we ask them a lot of questions in terms of the, from technical perspective, from student journey, from content perspective. So we do rely on uh, students' uh, feedback. And also we would ask teachers what they think. So after a few months, so after they run the course, we will meet with them again and um, look at the uh, survey um, outcomes. And also we discuss with them what they think uh, of the results, where they think we can improve in in the journey, and also um, what they think about the student feedback. Um, on on the courses. So that's how we measure the success because we really need to have uh, a a proper measurement criteria so we can measure against to make sure everything is covered in the journey from content perspective, from technology perspective, from user experience uh, perspective as well. I'm interested in that kind of, you've talked there about just the the first initial iteration of the success how often should um, you know schools and organisations and facilitators, for that matter, be reviewing and actually starting from scratch again, or changing their you know like their overall feel and you know look of their LMS? Is that something that should happen on a on a regular basis every year for a facilitator, or every couple of years you know for a school? 
how often should a school be kind of really kind of taking a deep dive into their into their LMS structure and and their UX and UI? Yeah, I think look, um, I would say it's fair to do it every year because we see a lot of advancement in, in technology and there's always new tools, especially with AI now. That, that can be integrated in the journey. So in online online learning, leave it, leaving it for a long time, I think they're going to miss the boat. Um, it is important to have this regular uh, check and, you know, looking at the feedback, going through the system again, see what they can improve based on the lessons learned through the year. Um, I guess it's a good timing during the school holiday to go through this journey every year where they have time to review the existing systems and content they have. And based on this, what lessons learned, it is important also to have the lessons log for the teachers and the administrators of, of the school uh, to record um, what went wrong, uh, what went right. So in this case, by the end of the year, they have a list of things they learned um, from the students and from each other where they can improve um, do we really need to revamp the whole system or we just add certain parts or we just improve the design? So a lot of things I think can be discovered through the lessons learned or, or, over the um, uh, teaching year. No, I'm just fascinated by by the lesson log. I think, um, you know, that notion of a life cycle, you know, I think we've often thought about life cycles in terms of projects, tech projects, whatever it might be, as being three to five years. But I think, you know, the what, what you're sort of challenging there is, you know, you really need to be doing it every 12 months because the landscape's shifting, you know, and you're going to get further and further behind the longer you leave that. So I just find that that really interesting because I think particularly schools don't think in 12-month blocks when it comes to tech. Um, I think we think a bit longer than that. Um, so I think that's a great challenge. Yeah, that's right. I'd also say, Matt, that um, you know teachers often want to create a course or a piece of content once. Um, you know, I've, I've created this online course. That's all I need to do now. Like come back and see me in five years. Um, and I think that, you know, Sharafi really – challenging that notion of just because you built it once for one year doesn't mean it's doesn't need to be reviewed and and kind of improved upon exactly. um, year on year exactly and i think you know every day we see how much information the world have you know every day we add more information we add we learn something new there's a new technology there's a new uh, invention there's a new innovation so we have to keep up with this um especially with the fast paced, you know, the artificial intelligence. Now we entered into an accelerated era. So things are accelerating. It's not like before, like between 2000 and 2010. Yeah. We accelerated equal to the previous 100 years. So things are evolving in an exponential way. So that's why now we have to keep up with technology because now, like technology and, and other industries as well, things are connected. Everything's connected now with, with technology, uh, with health, um, with math. So things are working um, as globally. So I think if we miss or one part and focus on other parts, we're going we gonna to miss, miss, miss the, uh, the board. So we should keep up to date and review regularly. And that's what's going to happen. And you will see amazing advancement in the, in the coming years as well. 
I'm kind of interested in your, uh, like obviously in the last four months, five months, AI has you know been a really hot topic. Uh, you've mentioned it there. And I'm wondering if you could share, you know, some of the, maybe some of the tools you've seen that have been AI-based that have been implemented into some, you know, online courses or, or learning management systems that are helping students, I, I guess, at a more, you know, an individual level or how the, how schools or organizations are embedding AI tools within their courses to help kind of facilitate that engagement? Has, has there been any developments in that space? I think people started to think about it. And I think also AI is still not perfect. Uh, it's also evolving, but it's a good time to, to, to experiment what we have. The way I see it now is, you know, it can be, um, it, AI can be used to personalize the learning journey as well. So how we get AI to learn from the student, therefore to provide an appropriate personalized learning path for the student based on the student's strengths and weaknesses, um, and also knowledge. So I see some sort of customized um, learning for each student instead of providing one content for many students that they have different, different way of learning um, as well. So that, that could happen in, in the near future. Um, I guess also, you know, I know that many schools and universities, they uh, block chat GPT. I think this is something we, we can't avoid, you know, as technology are evolving and, and we use it in our daily life, we, we can't block it. it. It, they will find a way to work on it. So this is a little bit challenging for schools. So I think these technologies can be used uh, for students to provide a critique. So for example, they can ask students, okay, use ChatGPT to write this essay and use your own words to critique, provide feedback about ChatGPT as well. So I think there are different ways um, they, can, they can be used uh, to um, utilize this technology. I know we can't use it in all aspects, but where it can be used, I think, People th should think outside of the box and they should think, okay, how we can use this technology to help us and to help the students. They need to think in innovative way instead of just blocking, blocking, blocking. Um, okay, let's get the students to use it. And maybe we, we teach them how to use, we call it um, prompt engineering. So how to ask the right question to, to get the right answer as well. So there are things they can think of outside the box from AI perspective, yeah. So an exciting time, I think, for educators. And I think that that um, sort of call to experiment, to explore and, and be curious is where people need to be um, and to really start thinking about that that customized uh, learning journey. Absolutely. We, we sort of, you know, as we move into the last part of our conversation, we always like to get some real sort of deep dive personal reflections um, from our guests and, you know, really curious around, you know, Skills Leap Australia as it matures and grows and adapts, you know, in in the, in the near future, and maybe it's 12 months, maybe it's five years. What's your hope and aspirations for the company? Uh, I, I guess my aspiration for the company is to make, um, to make learning more accessible, uh, to, to be more open to the world. Like it's uh, anyone in the world can access education and can learn. So how we can make this easy for people to access it. And also how we can make this uh, easy user experience so any anyone from any age or background 
they can study and, and learn it without struggling through, through this journey. I guess also the aspiration is, you know, I'm excited about the technology coming in the next few years. So um, we always um, experiment and try internally uh, new technologies and how we can use this with education, how we can streamline uh, institutions, processes and reporting and at the same time, teacher and students experience utilizing the technology. So I guess innovation and accessibility, that's how I see it. And uh, that's what inspires me in, in the coming years. I think that's a pretty good uh, aspiration to have. I, I like it. Well, um, as we get to uh, the final segment, uh, my favorite, Sharaf, uh, six in 60 seconds, one word or idea. Um, now, as Matt will attest, no one follows the rules. So if you have more than one word or idea, just I, I guess go for it because no one follows the rules. Here we go. Uh, the best conference or PD that you've ever been to? I would say um, EduTech conference in Melbourne in August, usually every year in August. This is a very, very good conference with lots of uh, innovative ideas people present. That That's a, a solid confirmation from us. We will be there this year. So uh, if you're listening to the Excellent. show, uh, we, uh, we're looking forward to uh, being at EduTech and uh, we've actually got a partnership in the works with EduTech. So good answer. Excellent. We'll see you there uh, then. <laughs> Absolutely. The most underrated role in your business? I would say my role as a CEO. <laughs> <laughs> um, people don't know the struggle we go through. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's the most misunderstood role. In yes, the, yeah. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Hey? Yeah, well played. Uh, most the most inspirational speaker you've ever seen, Jordan Peterson. If you could change one rule or one thing in education or the edutech industry, what would it be? Innovation and technology. Keep keep learning and keep innovating. Keep updating. Uh, one book worth reading. Uh, Zero to one uh, by Peter Thiel. That's my favorite. Now, I've got two bonuses that weren't on the list for you. Uh, the best online course you've ever done. <laughs> hey. <laughs> uh, in fact, it's happening now. We, we're developing online courses for uh, migrants and refugees and to learn English. So this is fun and um, it, will, it will be launched in 1st of July. So this is a good, beautiful courses and accessible courses. You will see later. <laughs> and the bonus question uh, for today Face-to-face -face or online learning? Mix. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely played. He's broken rules. Yeah. Well played. Uh, well, that brings an end to our show for today. I hope you've enjoyed our, uh, our, our chat with Sharaf. Matt. Closing comments. Uh, hit us with your closing comments. I know you've got them. Look, I'll uh, I'll be short, sharp, and and direct. Um, I love the the notion of um, a lessons log that you can be doing that continually, and and the notion of of teachers or facilitators learning from students. What have they learned for themselves? But what have they learned when they've been working with other educators? Love the art of weaving. Um, you know, and navigating that 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 path. Um, but I think the real the big piece for me today is about. Um, how we go through the design process and really uncovering the journey um, from understanding a school's culture, um, you know, their, their stakeholders, the expertise that exists. But what's it really like to put your feet in the shoes of a student and how they experience um, learning and, and what's most engaging? So uh, I love today. Um, we've talked a lot about the journey and, and just love your passion. So thank you. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Luke. And for me, I... Uh 
I actually, we're, I'm pretty similar. I had engagement kind of underlined and, um, you know, really focusing on on creating engaging content. And I think, you know, I was going to make the same point of, you know, teachers putting themselves or facilitators putting themselves in the, in the shoes of their students and thinking about more deeply around, okay, what's the journey here for my student to go on? And also thinking about what sort of device that they're going to consume it on, um, as well as kind of the, the minutiae of the details of what font, what size, what colors, you know, what's accessible, what's not, um, and, and just planting a few more seeds for people creating kind of um, online content in this space and to continually review uh, on a more regular basis just because I've created it once doesn't mean that that course yeah. should stay the same in the next five years. Um, so, you know, lots to take away for today, lots for people to think about. And I think, um, I think the audience will, uh, really appreciate, you know, the insights that you've shared about the process that you go through, but also more broadly that they can think about when they're, um, you know, designing kind of online content. So with that, Sharaf, thank you so much for giving up your time to be on the podcast. If the audience out there want to connect with you, learn more about Skills Leap Australia, where can they do that? Um, they can find me on LinkedIn. They can um, find our website, um, skillsleapaus.com.au as well. Um, we are active on LinkedIn and um, we always keep posting articles on our website. So make sure you go and learn from what we post there. And check you out at Edutech. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in August. In August. So th thanks, Matt. And thanks, Luke. I appreciate the time you spent and I appreciate the invite as well on on. Uh, on your um, um, show as well and um, good luck for today and um, hopefully we'll see you in a few months time excellent thank you so for the audience out there please remember if you haven't already subscribed to the show please do so on your favorite podcast player and share the love and tell a few of your colleagues or maybe the person responsible for your next pd data you should be listening to a you know this episode of ed leaders as i mentioned at the top of the show if you're not already signed up for the newsletter please do so at edleaders.com.au. We issue every two weeks. Thanks again to the sponsor of today's show. We couldn't make this content without them. So we would be entirely grateful if you spent a couple of minutes of your day going to their website and checking them out. It helps to make this professional learning free for you. So please check them out. You can connect with Ed Leaders and both Matt and I on LinkedIn, where we'll keep you up to date with all that we're up to Thanks again for listening and we'll catch you next week. Go well. <laughs>